0: chapter 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, and last week we looked at the first four verses. This week we're going to look at verses 6 through 12. Let me just read that. Jesus is praying. Now let me just mention, this is a prayer that Jesus made in the presence of his disciples uh, during his last discourse. So he wanted them to hear this prayer, just like he wanted the disciples or people that came to comfort Martha and Mary with the death of their brother. Jesus deliberately prayed vocally, lifting his eyes up. And Jesus said, then I did this so that they would hear and see. So Jesus wanted his disciples to hear this prayer. So here, this is in his prayer of Jesus to his father. He says, I manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have come to know that everything that thou hast given me is from thee. For the words which thou gavest me I have given to them. They received them, and truly understood that I came forth. From thee, and they believed that thou didst send me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all things that are mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the wor- world. Now I come to thee, Holy Father, keep them in thy name, the name which thou hast given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name, which thou hast given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled." This is Jesus' prayer. He wanted the disciples to, to hear. And what we see here, Jesus has affirmed to his disciples that all that the Father has given him will come to him without question. And when they come to him, he said, they will get eternal life. We already saw last week where it says, this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the true God, and then, son, and in the son, there in verse two. So we see here that Jesus is speaking of events beforehand, before they've even happened. Now we know that he has told them, "I'm leaving you real soon. The hour is upon us. Within hours, Judas is going to be coming with the the uh, the guards to arrest Jesus, and Jesus knows that." And so he says, he is speaking of a certainty of events before they're even accomplished. And he says, Father, I have come to do your will. Look what he said there in verse 6. I manifested, well, verse 5, glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. The eternal son left the glory of being with the father. He humbled himself, became human flesh, which was humiliating uh, in order to save us because this is what was necessary for him to save us. He says, I glorified thee by what I'm going to do and and you're gonna glorify me and in me glorifying you, you're gonna receive more glory because your justice is going to be satisfied. Why did, why did the eternal Son of God come into this world? Well, Matthew one twenty one says, <clears throat> when the angel re- revealed to Joseph that the child that Mary was carrying was no ordinary child, said, You're going, I'm going to tell you what you need to call that child. You need to call that child Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The whole purpose of the the Son coming in this world was to save sinners, the elect, from the, that were elect from the foundation of the world. And Jesus is going to make that very clear here. So Jesus is praying to the Father that he'll be glorified. Now in verse 6, he says, Jesus revealed to the Father, he says, he says to his disciples, I have prayed, or he's, he's praying, Jesus is praying to the Father, says, I manifested thy name to them whom thou gavest me out of the world. that emphasis, out of the world, you gave them to me. They were thine, thou gavest to me, that they have kept thy word. Now we know from the scriptures, Jesus is going to glorify the Father through his atoning death, his propitiatory sacrifice. And again, what is a propitiatory sacrifice? As the scripture says, it is the satisfaction of divine justice by means of a bloody sacrifice. It's used four times in the New Testament. And that's what you see, the satisfaction of the holiness of God that the soul that sins must die. Someone's got to pay the penalty. Jesus paid the penalty. And in verse six here, Jesus says, Father, I revealed to my disciples your words and works. Now, uh, Jesus has already said earlier chapter, this is how I've revealed myself to you, by what I've been preaching to you. And if you don't believe what I've been preaching to you, than believe the works that I've been doing. Both testify of who I am. Let me just draw your attention back to what what, uh, Philip, one of his disciples, asked him in John chapter 14. So I want you to turn back to John 14 and look at verses nine through 11. Jesus said, well, I gotta back up to verse eight. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? Notice here, the words that I say to you I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Two ways you ought to believe Jesus, you ought to believe me. Philip, you've heard my preaching, are you going to believe my words? Now, if you're having trouble believing my words, you've witnessed my miracles. You've seen everything new that I've done. Then believe the works. By believing what I said, I'm proving to you I'm, I have come from the Father. And by these miraculous works, by signs and wonders, I'm proving to you I'm from the Father. So what do you, why are you asking, show us the Father? I just showed you the Father in my preaching and in my great works. So, we see here, verse 6 of John 17 is also a great passage on God's election and calling. Because notice what Jesus says. If you turn back to John 17, verse 6, notice what Jesus says here. "Thy, Thy name, I manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me, Out of the world, you gave me some men, Father, and when you gave them to to me, I manifested thy name to them. Thine they were, well, when were they his? Well, from the foundation of the world, obviously. And thou hast given them me, and they have kept thy word. Now, Our election, as the Apostle Paul makes very clearly, if you read Ephesians chapter 1, that our election was from the foundation of the world. And that's where it began. And we must realize that God doesn't choose to reveal himself to all men in a special way and in a saving way. Now, We see that Jesus has already taught this, but I want us to go back to John 8 to and John 10 to say what Jesus is dealing with these Jews who said they believed in him, but they really didn't. Jesus says, well, I'll tell you what, you don't believe me because you're the sons of the devil. <laughs> that really did not go over well with them. And he explained to them why they didn't believe in him. So I want you to turn to John 8, take a look at verse 47. So he's already told them that they are uh, that their father is the devil and their father is not Abraham, as they said. And he says in uh, verse 46, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. I kind of put it right straight. You You don't hear me because you're not, you weren't given to me of the Father. Now look over at John 10 and look at verse 25 through 28, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name that bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of of my hand. So the father, it's, it's, it's apparent here that there were some that the father had given to Jesus and they heard him and they came to him. And if, if you hear me preaching and you don't come to me, it just demonstrates the Father never gave me, gave you to me. Now, some are going to say, doesn't sound real fair. Well, we're going to see how that works out when Jesus has reference to Judas Iscariot. And I want to just mention right now is we must never pit two great doctrines against one another. Never pit God's sovereignty, his election, against human responsibility because the Bible doesn't pit pit them against each other. It's hard for us to understand. I still don't fully understand. But I got to accept both. You got to accept both. And and so what we see here, Jesus says... (laughs) If you're having trouble hearing my preaching and, and seeing the miracles and your heart's still hardened, it only proves that you're not my sheep. What can I say? And that's why Jesus said, the Father gave uh, you, my disciples, out of the world. Now, out of the world means you're not of this world. you either in this world of the world system under the control of the God of this world, which is the devil, Or you're not in that world and you're in a world system where God is your father and God is your teacher. You're not worldly in your thinking. And what he said here, the father has given you to me and you're not of this world. I want you to just turn back to John 15 for a moment and look at verses 18 and 19. You know, after he told them that he was going to go away, he knew they were very saddened by that statement. And he said, I'm sending you out into the world. And Jesus then says to them, let me tell you what's going to happen to you when you go out in the world. They're going to hate you. Here's what he said, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me first before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love it, would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You know, Jesus said there's going to be two, two groups of uh, people, and you've got those that think like the world, have the passions of the world. First John 2 says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. The, the love of the uh, the pride of life, uh, the lust of the eyes. He says, all that's of the world is not of the Father. But you're not of the world. You're not, you're not those. You're my sheep. You are those whom the Father gave to me. Out of the world. You're different. And because you're different, They're going to hate you. You know, the sooner or later that you and I realize that there is a cost to being a disciple, the better off it's going to be. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to make it easier for us. But it is helpful to know what we ought to expect. Don't expect people to say, oh, you're just a wonderful Christian. I just love you with all my heart. (laughs) You've probably already experienced that, haven't you? Why are these people have this animosity towards me? I haven't done anything against them. Well, you're one of believers in Jesus. So while election is true, Jesus, again, he doesn't negate personal responsibility. Uh, now on keeping his word, he says, Father, they have, I've manifested myself to them, and they have kept my word. They, be, they came to the point, though they still didn't fully understand. Now, remember, everything that Jesus is saying about disciples is something that this is before Peter is going to deny him. This is before they're all going to scatter once they see the arresting party. But Jesus is still saying, but they have kept their word, and they will. They just had a moment of failing, is what they did. Peter had a moment of failing. The disciples, when they saw all this and got scared, they had a moment of failing. And but they did come to understand, as they did acknowledge, <clears throat> that they had come to understand. <clears throat> if you look at um, John eight fifty one. We see Jesus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Well, that's interesting. If you keep my word, you shall never see death. Well, let's see if we can help clarify that some. Turn over to John 11. To what he said to, to Martha when he came to Bethany and waited deliberately until Lazarus had died, and Martha meets him. is upset that Jesus wants it there. He says, you've healed, you healed all these, and he was your friend. He wouldn't have died. And we know Jesus deliberately delayed so he could do the greatest miracle of all. And so he's, Jesus is talking to Martha And verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I won't say any more than this. Martha knows something that someone today is, is refuting. Martha knew there was a coming day, a physical raising of the dead on the last day. And Jesus is is saying, well, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Right there, Jesus is affirming there is a physical death. And I am the resurrection of those who have physically died. Meaning, I'm going to raise them up. Now, Martha, you already understand it's going to be a last day. I'm going to raise them up. So there's the promise of the physical resurrection. But then he says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Well, never die how? Well, we're not going to have a spiritual death. When we believe in Jesus, though, though we physically die, we have eternal life right the moment we believe. And, and and so we are not going to see that spiritual death. And we have that eternal life, like Jesus said. And by the way, just turn with me over to Revelation chapter twenty, talking about you will you will never die, what what he could mean by that. Look at Revelation twenty. And look at verses 11 and 15. Let me back up to verse 10, because there are some today saying, we don't believe there's a hell of torment. Well, that's interesting, because look at what the scripture says. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and on him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead. Well, don't you think those are bodies that the sea gave up? Of course. So the sea, those bodies somehow, even those whom the sharks ate, I don't know how God's going to do it, but he will. That the sea will give up their dead. And, and death and Hades will give up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, everyone according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And everyone whose name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So here's the thing we will never, Jesus says, if you believe in me, you will never see death. In other words, oh, yeah, you're going to physically die. But you will not see death in another way. You're not going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And you will have eternal life. So in that sense, you will never die. So now, back to John 17. And looking at verses 7 and 8. Now they have come to know that everything thou hast given me is from thee. For thy words which thou gavest me I have given to them. They received them, truly understood I came forth, and they believed that thou didst send me. Now, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world. Let me just stop right there. I'm asking on the disciples' behalf. I'm not asking, Father, for those who are in the world. Whoa. You mean to tell me there are some and Jesus is not praying? Well, that's what he's saying. I'm not asking for those uh, of the world, but of those whom now gavest me. All things that are mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I have been glorified in them. The disciples came to believe Jesus. We, we saw that. If you just turn over just one chapter to pre, uh, John 16, if you look at verses 27 and 30, we see uh, them saying, for the Father himself loves you because you loved me, and you have believed that I came from the Father. In verse 30, now we then... We have the disciples speaking, we have come to know you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. So Jesus has acknowledged that the disciples have believed him, even though in a short while they're going to have a a moral failure, but they still believed him. But Jesus as he said, I'm not praying for all those in the uh, in the world. And th- this is interesting. I want you to turn over to Luke 22, which is the parallel Luke's parallel with John's gospel account. But if you look at Luke 22 and we're going to look at what Jesus said to Peter, remember, Jesus says, what of you going to betray me? And everybody began to wonder, is it me, is it me? Peter says, it's not going to be me. <laughs> it's not going to be me. And Jesus looks at him and says this to Peter. He says, Peter, starting in verse 31, Simon, Simon, <laughs> behold, Satan has demanded Permission to sift you like wheat. In other words, you know, Satan's hearing all this, and and it's like Satan says, Oh, let me get him. Let me, come on, let me have him. Just like Satan when he appeared before God with Job and says, Oh, there's a reason, God, that everything goes well with Job because you put a hedge around him. Take away the hedge. He'll curse you to your face. And God says, Okay, he's yours. You just can't kill him. Well, I don't need to tell you the rest of the story of how Satan was the instrument through some of these tragedies. And Satan saying, has demanded to sift you. And guess what? Jesus is going to allow the devil to sift Peter. But notice there's a positive side to it. Verse 32. But... I have prayed for you that your faith may not fall and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Ain't that wonderful? I'm going to let the devil sift you, Peter. But I'm praying for you. And you're going to be restored. Why? Because I've been praying for you. That's why. (laughs) Now, in this regard, notice Jesus never said he's praying for Judas, did he? You have no indication Jesus is not praying for Judas Iscariot at the Last Supper. One of you going to betray me? The one who dips with me in the parcel? He's the one. And then Jesus looks at him in the eye and says, whatever you got to do, go do it. And he goes off to betray Jesus. He's not praying for Judas Iscariot. Why? He's of the world. We're going to see, he is the son of perdition. That's why. He's of the evil one. Now, When he says, uh, I ask, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but I am asking on behalf of my disciple. You know, in in a very shortened way, that's affirming another great reformed doctrine of limited atonement, that Jesus died not for everybody indiscriminately. He died for those whom he came to save. He came to die for his elect. He came as his name was prophesied, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So I'm not praying for the world, but I am praying for you. And, And I'm gonna lay down my life for you, not for the world. Let me just say this again. There is, there is not one person in hell for whom Jesus died. Not one. Because if he died for you, if you study the scriptures, and I've mentioned this before, when I was at seminary, I had the epiphany over the, the billiards table on limited atonement when I wasn't sure, and we'd been studying on a book called The Apostolic Preaching of the Cross On the atonement. And as I was shooting pool. I stopped. I I get it. I finally get it. If if he atoned for his work. his, His blood. Actually accomplishes what it does. So there was not. As some other theologians have said. Henceforth. There is not one drop of Jesus's blood. That was shed in vain. Not one drop. And so. Jesus says, I came to save those whom the Father gave me. I've accomplished the task, and I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the others, but I am praying for those whom you gave me. You know, one thing, uh, right after, if you turn over to John 3:36. You know, the following up, that great passage with Jesus, with Nicodemus, and the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. Whoever God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But look what, how the chapter ends in John 3, 36. Well, I'll back up to verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He believes he who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. God's love Jesus' love is particular. It's not indiscriminate. Now this is where, uh, this is a little bit of an aside, (laughs) but sometimes our our zealous Calvinist brothers get upset with the Arminians over the the nature of of the atonement and the love of God. And who does Jesus love? Well, he loves, he loves the world there in John 3.16, he loves humanity. He loves men of all nations, tribes, tongues. Yes. But to say he loves you to all men and that there's someone in hell that Jesus loved, no. Because if he loved him, he would have saved him from their sin. He would have brought, guess who would? The Holy Spirit would have drawn that person to Jesus and He would have believed. So, Jesus is saying back here in John 17, he is saying uh, how important it is that how he's praying for others. You, You know how precious, do you realize how precious that really is to have Jesus praying for you on a daily basis? I want us to look at three passages and I just want these great truths to sink in really because they are going to be life transforming when you realize it turn over to to hebrews chapter 7 hebrews chapter 7 and verses 22 through 25 So much the more, also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. And the former priests, on one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Hence also he is able to save forever, Those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Always making intercession for us before the Father. Now turn over to Hebrews 9, look at verse 24. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Get that? For us. Who's he praying for at the right hand of the Father? Us. He's remembering us. Us. Yesterday, I, I attended the memorial service for the gentleman that was a friend of mine and many at Covenant, you know, who died under, well, you know, I don't need to tell you. Chris preached a, a marvelous sermon yesterday. And that one of the texts, he says, we can't wrap our heads. He says I can't wrap my head around it. But he says, he preached on comfort. And he, he says, you know, one thing is that that Jesus is praying. And he mentioned this passage. He says, are you aware that Jesus is praying for you? And he looked at Serena Roth says, he's praying for you, Serena. He's praying for all of you that are hurting. He's praying for you. And it's precious to know that our Savior is praying. So I, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know all the difficulties. You don't know the difficulties going on with with others, maybe. Things that we're not sharing. But I'll tell you who does know, and it's Jesus. And Jesus is praying for us. And it is comforting to know that my Savior who died for me is praying for me to get me through all the difficulties in life. He is my advocate, as 1 John says. And... That really is is, is life changing when you, when you let you realize that Jesus is praying always for you. So when when Jesus says, "All things are mine, Father," and He says, "I'm going to go away," uh, turn back to John 17, verse 11. He says. I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. Stop right there. Wait a minute, he hasn't died yet, right? He hasn't died yet. So why does Jesus say, I I am no more in the world? He can say that because of the certainty of prophecy. That's why. That's why he can say that. It's it's, It's a sure thing. It's so sure Jesus can speak of an event yet to occur as something having already occurred because it will happen. And, and, and so his death, he says, I'm going away, but, and they're not going to see me because I'm coming to thee. He hasn't come to him yet. He hasn't been resurrected yet. He hasn't been ascended yet, but he's, he's speaking as if he already has. So in one sense, he has in terms of the certainty of what's going to happen you know, Peter picks up on this. It could be that, that Peter remembered that statement because remember, Jesus is praying this before his disciples. Turn over to Acts chapter two. And in that great sermon that he preached on the day of Pentecost, here's what he says in verse 22 and through 24. Men of Israel, listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered up by what? The predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, there's election. But then guess what? Here's human accountability coming right off the heels. You nailed. You nailed to a cross. And by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. And God raised him again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Now, remember this is a sermon that Peter is preaching to these group of people on the day of Pentecost and he's gonna preach about Jesus being raised from the dead, that David was a prophet, prophesied that one of his descendants would sit on his throne, which by the way, Peter says, is Jesus and Peter quotes Psalm 110 saying that he will sit at the right hand and until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And we, we saw that Psalm 110 is that great passage where it says that the, the Son of God will stretch out his scepter and thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. Guess what happened a few minutes later? It says all those 3,000 people were pierced to the heart. By what? By the preaching that the Holy Spirit used to prick their heart. So when Peter says, oh, he was delivered up, it was a sure thing. It was going to happen. He didn't say around about He said that some of you were yelling for Barabbas. But Jesus he says he was raised and they were, they were pierced to the heart. 3,000, it says, were added to the church that day. They were the elect of God, right? And there was going to be a time they were going to hear the preaching which they heard and there was going to be a time which through that preaching, through Peter, the Holy Spirit, would bring conviction. Remember, what did Jesus say when the Holy Spirit came in John 16? When he comes, he will convict you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's exactly what happened at Pentecost. Now, so this marvelous thing happened But then look at verse 12, John 17, as we we bring this to a conclusion. While I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name, which thou hast given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished. Let's just stop right there. Not only is it precious to know that Jesus is praying for us daily, Notice what he said. I guarded them. I guarded them. Now, this event has not yet happened. Uh, the Great Commission wasn't given to Jesus rose from the dead. But when you remember in Matthew 28, the Great Commission of going to all the world and the, of the nations, verse 18 must always be put with the Great Commission because verse 18 says... Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. Jesus is all the power. Now, isn't it magnificent that Jesus is praying for us, but isn't it magnificent that Jesus is saying, I guarded you, I guarded you so that no one, none of you perished. That's how much I love you. Nothing will ever happen to you outside of my will. You will not perish in your sins. Not you. And I've guarded you. Remember, Satan has demanded to sift you, Peter. And I'm all at him. But I've prayed for you, Peter. I've prayed for you. And you will be restored. And I've guarded them. But there is one that I did not guard. And that is Judas Iscariot. Notice what Jesus calls Judas. the son of perdition. That's what he called Judas. I want us to very quickly look at the three passages that demonstrate Jesus knew all along. Turn back. First of all, turn back to John. Oh, let's see. John 671. John 671. Remember when Jesus was preaching that you had to eat his flesh and drink his blood, that offended a whole bunch of his disciples, not the twelve, but some of his followers, and they never followed him anymore. And Jesus says, "Well, you're going to leave me too. Well, who are we going to go to?" And then we see in John six seventy one, well, verse 60, sixty seventy, John six seventy, Jesus answered them, "Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you?" Is a devil. Now he meant Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So as I've said on it before, Jesus always knew, always knew that Judas was going to be the betrayer. Allowed him to come and be a, be a close friend for three years, knowing all along he's going to, he's going to be the betrayer. But I want him with me. Why do I want him with me? Well. Here's why. Turn over to John 13. Verse 2. And during the supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. So when Judas showed up at the Last Supper... We're told during the week of the Passover, he had already cut the deal for thirty pieces of silver and was paid to betray Jesus because they said, "We want to know where he is." And Judas says, "I'll show you where he is. I'll take you to him." Thirty pieces, and they gave it to him, and then the devil filled his heart. But then, look at John thirteen eighteen. Well, we got back up to verse seventeen. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I, I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Quoting verbatim Psalm 41, 9. You know, the reason Jesus had Judas come along with him was so that prophecy would be fulfilled, that a friend would be would betray him, and according to Zechariah's prophecy, not for twenty nine pieces of silver, not for thirty-one pieces, exactly thirty pieces of silver, which is what the betrayal bribe or payoff was. Now <clears throat> Jesus said in John fifteen Some of you are clean. Turn to John 15. He says in in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may uh, bring more. And then verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and prove to be my disciples. Well, who didn't bear the fruit out of the twelve? Judas. And we're told, in, in fact, if you look at John 13, verse 10, Notice what Jesus says. He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. But not all of you. Not, not Judas. Not Judas. And Judas will go and betray him to fulfill prophecy. Why did he betray him? Because he was the son of perdition, Jesus said. That's Why? He was a devil from the beginning. And again, let's don't pit divine sovereignty against human responsibility and think poor old Judas. God picked on him and prophesied that he, in fact, Peter says in Acts chapter one, it was prophesied that, That Judas would be that one. And we might say, oh, you poor Judas. God just picked me and I wouldn't have betrayed him if God hadn't chosen me to be the betrayer. Was that the thinking? No. I I want you to see what Judas' own comments were. Turn to Matthew 27. And just look. Verses one through four. Now when morning had come and the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death and they bound him and led him away, delivered him up to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse, returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, now this is Judas' own words. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. I sinned. Now, of course, I don't think Jesus knew. <laughs> Judas knew that the prophecies of the Old Testament were referenced to him. That, that the one who would, a friend would lift up his heel. Jesus knew that because Jesus is God. But Judas understood he sinned and betrayed Jesus should not. We could say, because Jesus was not praying for him, like he, Jesus was praying for Peter who denied him, Judas went out and hanged himself. And as Peter says in Acts 1, he went to his own place, meaning he went to hell. So whose fault was it? Judas''. Judas''. In fact, let me just read, and we will close with this verse. Mark fourteen twenty one. If you want one passage, I try to memorize a couple passages to help people that want to understand God's sovereignty and human responsibility. This is one you ought to just keep in mind. Mark 14, 21. For the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. Now that's predestination, right? But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good. For that man, if he had never been born, whoa. It's pretty hard, but it's the truth. So as we conclude, I want you all to be thankful that you realize that you were chosen out of the world. You're not of the world. And the Father gave all of you, because I know y'all love Jesus here, because I've come to know you. You love him because the Father drew you to Jesus. At some point, I don't know all y'all's testimony, but he drew you to Jesus. And the Father gave you to Jesus Jesus and you heard Jesus preaching to your heart and you believed your friends didn't like I've told you in the past I don't know why John who was an agnostic God saved and my high school buddies they still didn't believe and I, I never could understand they're more they're smarter than I did cuz two of them scored perfect on the SAT well John sure didn't I'll tell you that and why didn't they hear? And I realized because I don't understand. God had mercy on me. He had mercy on me. Because He had given, the Father had given me to Jesus. And I've said before, it's marvelous. I know I've told you this in the past. An agnostic in high school. I won a lot of tennis tournaments, won a scholarship to have, to play a full scholarship at E Tennessee State. I gave it up just to go west to Utah. It made zero sense. Zero sense. But it was 2,000 miles away that God came to me and says, John, I'm gonna bring you Jesus through these people. And I heard and believed. You know, here's the wonderful thing. The Father gives certain people to Jesus and if he has to take you to the, the, the remotest corners of the earth, that's what he will do if that's what it's gonna to take to save you from your sins because he will bring his elect to saving faith and he is praying for you right now and rejoice in that and he is guarding you he will never let you go. Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for these precious doctrines that are life-transforming. Drive them home to us for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Let's close with hymn number 400, Come Thy Fount.